You're listening to the Anchor Faith Church Message Podcast with our senior pastor, Earl Glisson. Enjoy the message. This subject, this context of God's love, um, I had to look at the calendar, and um, I went to the staff and I said, I cannot do this on Sunday alone. I will not be able to do. Knowing where I'm going, knowing what I know God wants to say, knowing uh, that we need to get past a Peter moment. What do I mean by a Peter moment? For you've been with us at Anchor Faith Church, you know I'm talking about Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And they said, well, you are the son of the living God, right? And he said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. Talking about Peter, you know, Simon Barjona, for my father in heaven has revealed this. Then he says this, I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. And Peter locked up emotionally after he said I was going to die. And he pulls Jesus aside in that book, in that chapter, and says, may it never be, you're not going to die. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. For you set your mind on the interests of men and not on the interests of God. And I've learned through the years as a pastor that people within the, as, I don't care who you are, <laughs> all of us are going to have a Peter moment, meaning there's something we believe, we have accepted it as a truth, we are emotionally attached to it, and then all of a sudden God wants to say something to us and we get jacked up and quit listening because we struggle with that comment. And we just can't go further. Now, I've been in that moment more than one time in my life. And I want to help you. When that moment happens, what you need to do, both physically and spiritually, go ahead and lean to the edge of your seat. I've been in that moment where all of a sudden some things started being said that I was not taught in church. And all of a sudden, I had to lean in both spiritually and physically, and begin to get highly entombed so that I had captured the comment and I began to say, what else is being said? So that I can determine now whether I should accept this as truth and abandon what I thought I knew or realize what that person's saying isn't really what God's saying. Okay? And I had to lean in. I couldn't be casual and just sit back. I remember this when I heard the kingdom of God for the first time. <laughs> a statement was made, and it made me step up on my seat, man. I mean, my whole posture changed. My wife and I was at a particular conference, man, and all of a sudden they made this statement that Jesus never preached, be born again. And when they said that, I was like, what? And I leaned in. I said, I leaned in. Now, he said, Jesus never preached be born again publicly and then began to cite it in John chapter 3. And then because I've read the Bible cover to cover for years, I was inside in my spirit talking to the Holy Ghost as I was writing down this person's slides. I mean, I was writing it word for word. I mean, I'm like copying these things. I'm writing so fast. Yet, carrying on a conversation with the Holy Ghost, hearing him, and trying to go through the scripture and find that myself and could not find it. I said, okay, maybe I just missed it. I'll have to go back and read. But I come to find out he was absolutely correct. Now, am I saying you don't have to be born again? You must be born again. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's not Jesus' message. So I had to lean in. 
because, you know, I thought that was the only message Jesus had. And that's one message that Jesus had that he actually didn't even emphasize. He emphasized a different message over 130-something times in the Gospels called the kingdom of God. And when he presented the kingdom, people were like, I want to get in. And then he says to the religious leader at 2 o'clock in the morning in John chapter 3, his name was Nicodemus. He said, unless a man's born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. What's he saying? There is a citizenship in my kingdom. They must be born of it. And currently, you're not a part of that. But you can be. Because when you call on the name of Jesus, I said when you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be born again. Really, that means born from above. A new spirit will come and live on the inside you created in Christ Jesus. The old will pass away. And then the third person of the Godhead will show up. Not just to hang out with you and say, you're a child of God. Can't wait till you die. That's not what the Holy Ghost is there for. Though he does that, he says, you're a child of God. You have sonship. Then he says, it's time to learn the kingdom way of living. Hallelujah. And we're here to learn the kingdom way of living. Amen? All right. With that being said, uh, tonight I want to talk to you about a better love. And in essence, the last three Sundays, um, we've taken some time to uh, re-examine the love of God. And so we start with this passage of Scripture called Matthew chapter 15 and verse 3, and we're going to carry this, uh, the love of God um, ministry or the teaching of this word throughout the, all the way up till the 20th of December, okay? And so it's going to be Sunday and Wednesday, so I encourage you, don't miss Wednesday, all right? Because I'm not going to re-preach Wednesday nights on Sunday. Now, tonight I am doing a review. I'm just going to be honest with you. I kind of want those first three uh, messages to kind of get back in you. And not everybody was in all those services, and we're going to touch base. So don't check out on me because there's some additional stuff we're going to see. Um, but again, we looked at this passage. This is our context. And he answered and said to them, why do you trans yourself transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And the reality is um, there's a lot of tradition uh, among believers. In fact, I was actually in the shower today and I just, you know, was kind of meditating on some things to, to say. And the Lord says, you know, maybe it would be better if you just quit saying churches are ministering or they not. Why don't you just say believers? Because the reality is his church is alive and well. Now, believers, unfortunately, and they are believers, sometimes are a little messed up. Um, and we're all messed up in one sense. Now, spiritually, we're made righteous. But our minds have to be renewed. And a, a lot of times, you know, um, believers never get out of infancy. They never grow past baby stage. Uh, Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by it. Which means your mind's got to be renewed to this new life you already are in Christ. I liken it this way. A seed um, has everything within it already. God made it that way. There's nothing else you got to add to it. But it has to grow if it's going to produce the fruit. Unless it's released, 
It doesn't matter that God put everything in it. So when people say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly complete in Christ. I don't have to add any. You don't. But you do have to grow. Because if you don't grow, you are a seed that never produces fruit. And God's not coming back for seed only. God makes a demand that his children bear fruit. So this is a fruit bearing church, meaning that as believers, we are um, cultivating you to bear the fruit that the word says you should bear. And the reality is sometimes you don't bear the fruit as you should, or some of your um, uh, fruits a little tainted, sour, you know, still got some corruption or carnality with it. We got to trim off a few limbs. All right. And so when we go to trim off a few limbs, do some pruning, right? Uh, it's there to help because some of you got some dead stuff that we got to cut off because no fruit can come out of that dead thinking. Although you, as your root system, fine. Again, Jesus said, listen, if there's any branch that's dead or there's no fruit in it, they lop it off. So you can have a root system that's great. Doesn't mean the whole tree's bad. It just means that you got an area in your life that is not renewed to God's way of thinking, and you can't produce fruit there. In essence, that area of your life is basically dead. How do I know that? Because James, and I'll come back to this pastor scripture sometime in this. Hopefully, God will bring us back to this pastor scripture. Your faith without works is dead. Period. Just as the spirit, the body is dead without the spirit, so is your faith dead if it does not have works. Meaning, the obedience are operating in the love of God. Okay? So, we then have to say, okay, Lord, let's just go to the scripture. All right? Because, again, I'm like you. I'm going to be honest with you. When I get into these things that God begins to deal with me, I'm always looking for what else God wants to say. I will do reviews. I will do stuff that I already know. But I'm always mining for more treasure. And if the Lord will allow me to release more tre treasure, I will. The problem is, is that if we're not actually operating in what we already know, then why would God give us any more? The good news is, is that a lot of us are allowing fruit to bear, so I can throw some things out that people can pull in that others don't get. And I get that because Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear, meaning I just said something, and there's a group of you that got that, but there's a group that didn't. Then he even goes to his own personal disciples and said, now I'm going to explain exactly what I meant with that parable, but the rest they don't get it, which means you got something someone else didn't get even though he said something. That can happen when we minister the word of God as well. Someone can get a truth that they've never seen before. And the other one, it didn't, the light didn't go on, so to speak. The Holy Ghost didn't reveal that to you. You leave with a layer of truth. Somebody else leaves with another layer of truth. Now, don't get upset about that because God wants to help you where you're at. It does no good for you to have a piece of information of God or knowledge of God that you can't apply. Because at that point, you just, you know, get prideful in what you think you know, all right? God's not impressed with what you know even about him. He's not impressed. You know, what he's impressed with is that you can walk this life out according to his word by faith, okay? And you walk it out 
with the love of God. Now, we saw this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. The Passion Translation says, I continue to pray for your love to grow and increase beyond measure, um, bringing you into a rich revelation of uh, spiritual insight in all things. We see in this passage and then the one in Ephesians chapter 3 that we're going to read here in just a second that love should grow in us. Okay, so the minute you were born again and the Bible says in Romans that the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart, that doesn't mean that it can't grow. Okay, it is supposed to grow. And let me tell you, it, it will grow a couple ways. One way it grows is through fellowship with God, through the reading of the word, through your prayer time, through praying in the spirit. But it also grows through adversity. Because you got to put it on. You got to put on love. Which tells us love can, can, um, cannot be applied because you choose not to put it on. All right? And it's not a God problem because God gave you it, but you've got to release it. All right. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, again, the Passion Translation says this, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you and the resting um, place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. Now, there's more than one dimension of God's love. And the reality is, we've all, we, if we don't watch out, we only want to accept this thought of just God died for me so that when I die, I can go to heaven. And that's only one dimension of God's love. Okay, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love? Well, how deep is it? And how far-reaching is it? Really important for us to discover. It says this, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into uh, you until you are filled to overflow with the fullness of God, right? Now, we read over in 1 John uh, chapter 3 that God is love, right? It's not that God knows love. He knows it because he is it. That's like, I don't know, I know me, I know Earl Glisson because I am Earl Glisson. So I, I, there's something about me that I know because I am me, right? So when we say God is love, the reason why God knows love is because it's him. So the very nature of God is love. And we said this, which bears repeating. If you do not have God, you cannot know love, even if you use the word. Just because someone says, I love you, may not be a true statement. We have a problem with words. We are using words out of context constantly, even as believers. We will apply God's love where it's actually not love, but it's something else. Or we'll say God's grace when the reality is it's not God's grace, it's actually his mercy. And so we end up kind of blending these terms together to where, you know, if we don't watch out as believers, we don't know the difference between mercy and grace, between hope and faith. We don't know the difference. We don't know the difference between confidence and arrogance. 
We don't know the difference between love and lust. It'll become a problem. Now, the world will use these words as if they know it. But the world does not have God, so it does not have love. So the world has no right to tell you what love is. So if you start to fall into the trap that, you know, you saw a commercial, you heard somebody stand, you saw this big, you know, um, press conference where somebody's talking about why can't we just love each other? Well, if they're not even born again, they don't even know what they're talking about. Now, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying, if I don't believe the infallible word of God, the minute you allow any compromise and this not be your source, then you will allow believers and the world to redefine how God is. When man fell, he became, began to try to tell God how to accept him. This has been the problem since the garden. When Adam ate the fruit, he tried to define how God would accept him. Right? Because he was naked, not ashamed, him and his wife. But the day he ate the fruit, all of a sudden, they realized they were what? Naked. Then he put leaves on himself and his wife. And basically, what is this? In case God shows up, God, would he accept me this way? So humanity from that point has been trying to tell God how he is supposed to respond to them. And they're using his words. So in this dispensation, the world is trying to tell the church how to love. Now, if you love your neighbor, you wear your mask. Right? All of a sudden, you're not loving your neighbor. Well, if I love my neighbor, I go lay hands on the sick. Yeah, that's quiet. I know, I know. Now, I wear a mask. Don't get me wrong. There's a certain place I go in, and you can tell. they like, you know, they're like. At this juncture, it ain't even worth me having this conversation. Let's just drive on. But at other times, I walk right in. I got it in my pocket, but I walk on in. And I get looks. And I smile because I can smile. <laughs> and they see it, right? I can do that. Okay. Because I'm immune. Now, I, whether I have symptoms or not isn't the issue. The issue is, by the blood of Jesus, I have already overcome. So if a symptom shows up, I know how to get it off. So if a symptom did come through, by all rights, I'm immune. So why am I wearing a mask if I can't even transmit it? We're not even having that conversation, are we? Right. 
Okay. I'm just saying the world will tell you, and you've got to say, I hear it, but I go to a source. I let God define how I'm supposed to respond. Again, when George Floyd died, everybody wants me to say something. Well, am I the person God has picked to say something? Do you know what? Elijah was not there when it was time for Jeremiah to talk. So I don't know why everybody expects that I've got to say something about every situation where I might not be the person in God's body that's actually the voice for the man. I don't need to get on Facebook and Instagram and give you my spill. I'm not required to do a response just because the world is demanding and then tells me if I'm silent, I'm talking. Well, Jesus was silent one day. I'm just saying that if God had told me, I'm going to talk. And did I say some things behind doors to individuals that asked? Yes. But in the whole grand scheme of things, you don't tell me and the world doesn't tell me how I'm supposed to handle things that are showing up. Now, believers get, have a problem with that because believers get caught up. And the, when they get caught up, let me tell you why. Because they get caught up with the emotions that are surrounding situations. But we are never to be led by our emotions. We are to get our emotions to get in line with our spirit, man, and then let our spirit, man, dictate that emotion. But that's called being led by the not being led by the situation that just took place and everybody put on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. I don't even have time to respond to literal stuff that comes against me. I mean, I don't have to respond to every situation. <laughs> Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will repay. I can be quiet about a lot of stuff. Hallelujah. But if I come talking, then it's because God said I need to say something. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're in review. Let's drive on. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you're going to learn about God's love, you've got to go to the book of beginnings. Because the problem is we are only defining, as you know, God's love at the fall. But God has been here forever. So we saw this. God said, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, right? And in that context alone, we know if God is making us in his likeness, that that means of the nature of God, he has made man in this context, at this juncture. Let's just put it that way. So Adam, the first Adam, Adam is of the seed of God. If you read one of the gospels, it gives the genealogy till eventually says Adam. Adam, the son of God. Now, that's not the son of God, Jesus, who's God wrapped in the flesh, but Adam is God's son nonetheless, okay? So Adam, the first Adam, was made in the image of God. He breathed in him the breath of life, which means Adam was of the nature of God or love. Out 
of Adam became Eve, so both of them had love because they were of the nature of God. Then he tells them to rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female. So both of them were the image of love. The problem is, is that man fell out. But before he falls out, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 said, then God took, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden, right? Now notice in chapter 1, it says, then God said, but when we get to chapter 2, it says, then the Lord God. Now you understand he delegated an authority to man, but he is still ruler over man. So he says, Lord God puts Adam, took the man and put him in the garden because he's saying, I am ruler in my realm called heaven. I've delegated the authority of dominion or rulership to you as a human in the earth, but I still rule over you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So then the Lord God, Lord meaning supreme in authority, not a religious word. It means supreme in authority. Okay. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden and cult, to cultivate it and keep it. Now notice, this man's in the image of God. He's love. He knows how to operate in love because his dad, the father, operates in love. And dad says, I have an assignment. And he expects him to do it. The Lord God commanded The man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day you eat, you will surely die. Up until this juncture, he is made in the image of God. He's love. Everything that he sees is good. Every tree bearing fruit is good. Every animal is great. Everything is good. Yet there's this one tree. One. On the whole planet. That the Lord says, don't eat from it, right? Now, why does he do this? The reason he does it is because God wants Adam to experience his highest love or what God's love is, how you tap into the love of God. You tap into the love of God because at this juncture, Adam is not in sin. Eve is not in sin. Are you hearing me? So neither need forgiveness. God is not withholding his greatest love. Because right. if Adam never eats the fruit, forgiveness is never needed. So forgiveness cannot be God's greatest expression of love. Can't be. Because then you would have to conclude God had this like dastardly evil kind of thought. <laughs> I'm going to create man and give him rulership, but then I know he's going to fail because I want him to fail so I can show him my real love. Because <laughs> people say this all the time. Well, if God knew he was going to eat, why did he put the tree in the first place? Listen, no one forced against their will to do something demonstrates love. No one forced against their will. So God, who makes man in his image, and God has a will, says, I'm going to give you one. 
Now you can choose. Love will do what I say. If you don't do what I say, sin happens, and that is separation, death. I'm not death because God's not death. God is life. He's love. So he says, now I want to know, do you love me? Because I love you. Now, how's God proven his love? Create a whole planet for him. Made him in his image. Gave him rulership. I'm the king of heaven. You're the king of the earth. I'm the king of heaven. You're the king of the earth. I'm the king of heaven. You're the king of the earth. And I'll come down and I'll be in your presence and you'll be in my presence. He came and talked to him in the cool of the day. Remember when he came in after he ate the fruit, the presence of God was there. Did it change Adam? Nope. Man, there's believers hungering for the presence of God. Well, is he in you? I mean, he's personally present. It's called Emmanuel, God with us. And I'll be in you. I mean, you're trying to get... What are you going after? I mean, we got to think about these things for a moment. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to be in a worship service or I love to be in prayer and the tangible anointing of God increases in that room, both privately or corporately. It is amazing. But I don't live in a goosebump world. And God didn't design me to live goosebumps or laying on my back. Or laying on my face. Or being translated for that matter. Or seeing visions. He created me to do something. Amen. So the presence is there in order to release something in me. To communicate. So that I can to be with me as we go. So Adam is in the image of God. He's walking in the love of God. Man was created in perfect love. So experiencing God's love does not require one to be delivered from sin. Yet that's the only aspect we want to preach about the love of God. And we're missing a higher love, a better love, a better one. All right. Man sinned by disobeying. And what did he lose? He lost, we'll say it this way, let's stay in a believer's, you know, what we know. He lost a relationship with God. Yes, he did. What else did he lose in that relationship? God himself. And what did he lose when he lost God? He lost love. Not only did he lose love, but he also lost his assignment. He lost his purpose. He handed over his dominion. Because if you'll remember, if we're readers of the word, the devil, Satan himself, when he took Jesus to a high pinnacle and showed him all the kingdoms or domains in a moment of time, he says, all this dominion I'll give to you for it's been handed over to me. Well, where did he get it? He got it from the first Adam. I said he got it from the first Adam. Hallelujah. So if we want to walk back in dominion, If we want to get back in our purpose, we must be born again. Don't get me wrong. We need to be forgiven. There's no problem there. I just want you to know that love manifested after man fell, but existed before he did. 
So God's greatest love expression is not just to forgive you of your sins, but to restore to you a place where you can walk in the obedience of God. That is so powerful. Love made a way for restoration, but what is he trying to restore? He's not trying to take you to heaven. He's trying to restore to you the ability to obey God. Man, this is great. Okay? So, here's the thing, and we said this. So then the forgiveness of sin, in one sense we could say, in one sense, and I'm going to clean this up a little bit because God's talking to me a little bit about this. Uh, But the forgiveness of sin, we could say it kind of this way, is the lowest form of God's love in this dispensation after man fell. In essence, he's got to do some forgiving in order for us to try to get back into something. He's got to take care. So when he comes down and says, Adam, where are you? He's got to start moving in a way that can give man an opportunity to even have some kind of conversation. So he says, don't tell me to accept you and leaves. I'm going to have to kill an ant. Blood's going to have to be applied. But before he ever takes care of the blood, he goes ahead and prophesies. I said he prophesies. He looks to the devil who was the serpent, you know, and he says, I'm going to bring my seed through the woman. And your seed and my seed are going to be at enmity. That means there's going to be a hatred. Let me tell you something. The world does not love the church. God has set it in place that they hate us and have a hatred and are, are our enemy. Now, again, when we, if you'll notice, that, that doesn't mean God doesn't want to redeem them out of that. But I'm going to tell you right now, the world's not your friends. They're not your friends. They may be nice to you, but there's a lot of nice people going to hell. A lot of nice people being thrown into the lake of fire. So quit calling them good because God don't call them good. He calls them evil. And you better know that because the problem is, is you're tolerating their niceness, calling it good. You are failing to what the, the prophet, I believe, Isaiah said, or it could be Ezekiel, somebody correct me here in a second, that he said, there'll come a day that they'll call what's good evil and what's evil good. Right? So the minute you as a believer call someone you knowingly know has not accepted Christ as a good person, then you're giving them this assurance that how could God reject me if I'm good? I mean, you got to be, you got to be not, you got to be, you got to understand where your coworkers are, where your family members are, where people are in the world. You need to be able to say, hey, you know what? You're a nice person. Ain't no doubt about it. I mean, you do nice things. But I'm telling you right now, without Jesus, you're evil. Period. These nice things doesn't cause you to get in the kingdom. Doesn't make you right with God. God only sees it as filthy rags. And I love you. That's why I tell you that. Because if you keep going around thinking you're as good as me, because you're doing what I'm doing, You're not. You're not. But that's not how you win them anyway. And we'll get to that because we are 
absolutely, I am blown away at how we've missed it. How profoundly obvious it is the role of the church in order to be able to cause the world to want to get born again. And we have a majority of believers are doing it completely wrong. Completely wrong. They have gone after the world at the expense of the church. There's 7.85 billion people on the planet. And there's not a whole lot born again. And I know the number one reason why is because we're not demonstrating God's love as he said we should to the world. We'll get to it. Because we, right here at Anchor Faith Church, we're going to have to fix that. And it don't start outside. This message is for the world. But it's more for his church. Hallelujah. But we've accepted, well, God came into my heart and saved me. When I die, I go to heaven. God loves me. Lifestyle. And have not grown any deeper in love. And we're wondering why people aren't running to the church. And why believers will actually walk around and say, you know what, these people that I work with are nicer than people that go to church. Oh, yeah. They'll do more for me. Yeah. And it's a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. Okay, let's go on. See, when you, when you, when we, and we've been taught this, right, that the forgiveness of God is like so, it's his love. It's like the greatest, God loved us that he forgave us, right? It's like this is the greatest thing to attain to. When we think of it that way, then we find ourselves in this cycle. We'll stay in a cycle of failure and forgiveness. Because you know what it was like when you were hurting and you blew it and you asked God to forgive you. And all of a sudden, you had access to God's love for the first time and you felt something totally different. You're like, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. But because you're carnal, you're a babe in Christ. Because we're babes in Christ. When we're born again, we are a babe in Christ. That's what the Bible calls us. He doesn't call us spiritually mature. Does not call us that. So we shouldn't get upset at that. Wow, she's come to my heart. He loves me just as much as you. He does, but you may not be operating in what he has like I am. Because I may have grown to a place that you can grow to a place if you'll do what's necessary to grow. Yeah, but I got all of God in me. So did I. But I'm not experiencing all that God has for me until I grew. Hallelujah. Let me just break it down real simple, can I? Okay. How many of you were saved from your sin without you doing anything? It's kind of a trick question. On one side, Christ paid it all. All sin's been dealt with, right? But just because he's done it, does that mean you have it? So I'm going to say it again. How many of you have been saved from all your sin without doing anything? None of you. 
Because until you confess Jesus as Lord, although a spiritual payment has been made forever settled in eternity, it does not come to your account until you, by faith, obey God's way of restoration and reconciliation to be able to receive so you don't even get the lowest expression of God's love until you tapped into the highest, and that was obey. It didn't even come until you're like, I'm, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that Jesus Christ came, the Son of God in the flesh, and he died on the cross, and he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Ghost on the third day, born of a virgin. He poured out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, and I call, I repent of my sin. I openly declare, I call Jesus Christ my Lord. And in that moment, that act of obedience in faith. Let me submit it this way. You cannot be in God faith outside of obedience. Because true God faith means you are being obedient. Faith comes by, that's how it comes. That doesn't mean you're operating in it. So hearing what I'm saying doesn't mean you have faith. Coming to church hearing me doesn't mean you have faith. You have access. Faith comes by hearing and hearing how? From your peers? Because your peers can't help you. Your peers can only help you if they speak the word only about your situation. Oh, honey, I know exactly how you feel right now. Oh, it's just so terrible. It's terrible. I had the same problem you do. I'm telling you. I wouldn't go back there. I wouldn't do this. Oh, I know. I'd leave. You know how I feel. See, I, finally, I found somebody who can identify. Well, you ain't supposed to identify with people. You're supposed to identify in Christ. But our flesh wants to identify in the seen realm. Hallelujah. <laughs> we reviewing, right? Reviewing and adding. I know. It's all right. So when you think it this way that forgiveness is the greatest, you'll stay in the cycle of for failure and forgiveness in order to feel God's love. Because we're babes in Christ. Oh, I felt God for the first time. But what you didn't realize is God gave you the ability to tap into his highest love called obey. It calls forgiveness to manifest in your life where you sense God's love for the first time in the realm of your spirit. And in that moment, I mean, it's like super fast, right? In that moment... Right? But what we do is we then, we always attribute God's love a lot of times with the very first way we felt. Well, how do you get that feeling again? See, this is what I do in premarital counseling. When I do premarital counseling, I ask the question, have you had sex? I ask that question. The reason why I ask that question is because if they have fornicated, then that means they have felt physically what sex does. But fornication is sin. So you have a feeling. It feels good, but it has an atmosphere. And even if you were telling them why you making love to them, although you are making lust to them, 
It ain't sexy to say, hey, baby, let's go out tonight. I want to fornicate with you. That's not sexy. I get it. That's why the devil says, girl, well, we make some love. We're going to make some love tonight. And then you play those little songs, you know? Yeah. I mean, if some of the songs were out, and I, I mean, I, I'm talking still old school from today. But if some of the old school songs that were, you know, past my time was out, man, I mean, I'd have had a playlist. <laughs> oh, you dropping things. There was one song a long time ago when I did youth ministry. Now, it's been over 16 years, but it's like it's getting hot in here. Let's take off all our clothes. I'm like, man, it's hot in here. I mean, I would play this stuff. I would do these things. Because words create atmosphere and environments. I mean, if I'm at, and I'll say, I love you, if that gets your clothes off. When I was in sin, you understand. <laughs> but here's the thing. The atmosphere, the minute you get married, you're in covenant like God intended it. So the only way I can have an atmosphere with a feeling that I had prior to covenant means now I got to go into an adulterous affair. And all of a sudden, here's married couples. Oh, I don't love you. It's just like it's not there anymore. It's not like no spark. And all of a sudden, somebody goes by and like, whoa. All of a sudden, an atmosphere shows up. Oh, I'm preaching way more than you're saying amen, but that's all right. That's all right. It's for the YouTube people, right? I get it. What we don't understand is we do actions that are associated with atmospheres, whether it's ungodly or unrighteous things or and fleshly because Jesus uh, Paul said we have to crucify the flesh flesh has a feeling the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Moses did not stay with the pleasures of sin but instead decided to go with the sufferings of his people too often, if we don't watch out, we will go. And when we have this feeling of God for the first time, then we will recreate it. And how do you recreate? I got to blow it in order to ask him to forgive me. And thank God he will. Thank God he will. And he will. I get it. He will. First John 1, 9, he'll forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But God never wanted his children to be in a perpetual cycle of where I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Man, I blow it every day. Well, we already preached this, right? If you practice sin, you're of the devil. So how can you be practicing sin, call yourself a believer? I mean, the word does not substantiate that. All right. So love, now we saw in the garden, then love required a response from man. Love came down. Love came down. Rescue me. Love came down and said, Adam, where are you? What has Adam done? Bit into a fruit. Bit into a fruit. Now, I don't know about you. I've blown it way more than biting one piece of fruit. But I'm in a different dispensation. Adam was perfect. Bit the fruit, knew, knew what he was doing, knew the rebellion that he was doing and that he was going to go independent of God. He just didn't realize that consequence would be exactly as it is, but it was. And love kicked his boy out of the garden. Now, that won't preach real good in many believing services, 
Because we have adopted the world's definition of love. And that is love is acceptance. God accepts you. We even got good hymnals about it. Just come as you are. Well, you know what? You are going to have to come as you are because you can't do anything to be right with God. But you understand, when you get to the cross, he expects that to stay there. Because if you're coming into the kingdom, you're not as you are. You're a new, not a remodel. You're a brand new species of being. In essence, he said, don't bring that trash up in here. Now, I showed you the door, and I want you in the house. But you can't come in like you are. You're going to have to get, I'm going to have to get rid of that. Get that dead spirit man gone. Get him out. So I can get up inside you and start talking to you and start having a relationship with you and start retraining the way you think. Listen, Jesus' very first message was not, you better get born again because y'all all going to die and go to hell. He did not preach that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. He says, repent, which means change your thinking because the kingdom of God does not operate like the kingdom of men. So he said, I got to get up in you so that I can retrain your brain and I will heal your body and I will touch your mind and I will cause you to become the fullness. I'll grow you. Woo, glory to God. I give you the capacity to be able to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because no one goes after God. No. Now that you're born again, you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God said, well, you need to go to church today. Yes, Lord. That old man says, man, I'm tired. Right? Right? This new one, a girl comes by, a guy comes by, not even born again. Like, wow, they look good. And the Lord's like, nah, yes, unequally yoked. Just go ahead and leave them alone. You'd be like, yes, Lord. Because you got somebody for me. There's 7.85 billion people on the planet. You'll move them from another country. I'll wait, Lord. You brought Eve to Adam. I'll wait till you bring. But what do we do? The old man shows up. Well, now I could probably change them. I'll start preaching to them. I'll start telling them about Jesus. And then they come to church with you. And they raise your hand like you raised. Woo, look. Woo, look. That guy got one hand up here and one hand down here. Oh, yeah, I'm preaching. Now, you know it's true. Because the minute they get this hand working, this hand comes down. Yeah. Yeah. All the while, I love God, I love you. All right. No love enforces consequences to man's disobedience, and he still does it in this dispensation. Love no longer dwell daily with man, because love is not acceptance or tolerance. Love did not tolerate the disobedience. Notice, do not confuse God's mercy for acceptance or tolerance. And many believers do. I did this. It's wrong, but I didn't drop dead. I went to church, had a great experience with God. He talked to me in the Bible. Like all of a sudden, just because God talked to you and because he showed up, 
all of a sudden now that means he has no problem with any particular sin you did? No. No, he's giving you a way to repent. And just because he's merciful about something doesn't mean... Because again, he says your sin will surely find you out. That's after you're born again. It'll find you out. I mean, the Lord's like, for the sake of my servant David, I'm not going to do it. For the sake of my servant David, I'm not going to do it. Another king comes up, another one dies. Another king comes up, doesn't do it. I'm, for the sake of my servant David, I'm just not going to bring the wrath. I'm not bringing the wrath. But there came a day, it's like, it's coming. And all we preach is God's not mad at anyone. Yet the new covenant says, Paul, he says he's storing up wrath for the sons of disobedience. Now, you say, well, that's not me. I agree. He's not storing up wrath for you. But he is taking into account everything you're doing to determine what your rewards are. Because when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And it's like we are okay with our whole life being burned up and as though snatched by the fire and forego silver and gold. Because we think when we get to heaven, we all going to have the exact same stuff. Because, you know, there's no, there's, there's no um, U-Hauls going to the funeral, right? I got one. I got every obedient thing I did for God. I take it all the way to the grave. It shows up at the judgment seat of Christ. He puts the fire to it, and all of a sudden it turns into crowns. It turns into assignments. It comes into uh, what God will establish me to do in the millennial reign. And while you're in remedial training, he's going to say, now, Pastor Earl, I want you to take over these cities in the millennial reign, and you're going to be my judge, and you're going to teach the people the things of the kingdom. Because when you could have not done it, you put your will down and you did it. And that model, my son, Jesus, we said 1 Corinthians 15, 45, said this, the first Adam became a living soul, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. We only said that because Jesus is the last Adam, not a second Adam. He's the last one. And what did Jesus do? Jesus said in 5, John 5, 30, he said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who seeks, uh, who sent me. So this is a little, it could be misleading if you don't watch out, because again, if you try to have a particular narrative, you could take this scripture out of context and say, well, see, Jesus can't do anything out of it on his own initiative. No, he says, I don't seek my own will. The reason I don't do anything on my own initiative is because I don't seek my own will. Because he could have, but he didn't. Then he said in John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, he says, so Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative. I speak the things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things which are pleasing to him. Remember what he said in, in Hebrews? He said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if he was pleasing to God, it's because he heard God. Faith comes by hearing. And he wasn't just hearing God, he was doing what God said because you got to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. And many believers are hearers only, meaning they have access to all this power.
power and ability to rule and reign in this life, but don't do anything and live a deceived life. And that's not God's highest love. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I blew it again. I was like, I forgive you, I love you. I mean, God's not going to go against his own word. How many times will you forgive someone? Seven times, Lord? No, 70 times seven. If you literally come to him of a true repentant heart to, to go, he's going to forgive you. He loves to forgive you, but he doesn't want to keep you there. <laughs> he never intended to keep you in that position. And it doesn't happen when you only go to heaven. Amen? Amen. Jesus said this in Matthew 26, 39, and when he went a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. He said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So this is very important because the next scripture we're going to see here, the reason why Jesus is even going to the cross in the first place is because he's having to make sure, number one, is this exactly what God wants, although he's saying, can we change it? Because he's saying, I don't want... If you actually go back in this particular chapter, Matthew, uh, what is it, 26? If you go back and read above that, it says that he was grieved. Honestly, you could literally say Jesus moved into a state of soul depression. But he didn't let depression beat him. How did he get rid of the depression? I got to know your will. I got to know your will. I got to know your will. And I don't want to go here. I don't want to do this. I do not want this to take place. But I crucify my decision because I'm going to love you and do exactly what you said. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, we think the death on the cross is the greatest thing Jesus did. The greatest thing Jesus did was to obey to go. Do you understand? He could have been drugged there. Oh, don't. They could have. You understand the two guys that were crucified with him did not want to go. And they were drugged there. Against their Jesus willingly. He said, Pilate, you have no authority over me unless it was given to you by my father. Because know this, the only reason why this guy is going to the cross is because he has ordained it this way and I am going to stay in his love. I am going to obey him even if it means I die on a cross. I'm doing that. Because don't you know that I could call a legion of angels down right now? Don't you know my kingdom's not even of this realm, doesn't even operate it? Because if it was... We'd be smoking you right now. But it ain't like that. What it's like is dad says I do because I'm going to be in the highest expression of God's love. I'm going to obey my daddy even to death on the cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him. So why did he exalt him? Because he died on the cross? No, because two other people died on the cross. Did they get exalted? No, because he obeyed him. In every circumstance, in his natural existence as a man, son of man, he was highly exalted. And he's been given the name that's above every name, that every knee will bow, who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's no species of being that God has created that he will not, they will not bow to him. 
Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20 makes sense now to us. It says, and I will give them one heart, a new heart, the Amplified says, and I'll put a new spirit within them. I will take from them the heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh that is responsive to my touch. That they, why? That they may go to heaven when they die? That they may go to heaven when, not, when they die? No, that they may walk in my statues and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they shall. Then. Then shall they be my people and I'll be their God. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God. You want to know what the love of God is? Here it is. You want to know what the love of God is? Here it is. You want to know what the love of God is? Here it is. And you can't do this unless you are born of his spirit through faith, acknowledging that he died on the cross, raised from the dead, no other way to get there. And in doing so now, the spirit, your spirit and his spirit, the Holy Ghost, wants to do the will of the Father. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And guess what? His commandments are not burdensome. Man, it's just so hard to follow. No, it's not. No, it's not. Now, it's hard to your flesh. Your flesh will talk to you. It'll try to talk you out of it. But your spirit man's stronger. I said your spirit man's stronger. If you'll strengthen and feed your spirit, if you'll grow your spirit, then you'll be able to put down the flesh. Say, shut up. You'll cast the thought down. Don't talk to me. This life experience is not going to change the way I believe God. God is truth and let every man be a liar. Now let me close with this passage just to sink this truth home. 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, okay, this carries over into the new covenant now. This is a great example. We need to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, this is King Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Now, this is not the first time Samuel has said the word of the Lord to Saul concerning a battle. He says, you go in, you conquer these people, then I want you to do this sacrifice unto the Lord and thank him because he gave you the battle. He was with you. He caused you to be strong and overcome. And he did that time and time again. But we get to these people. I said we get to these people. Now, God is a righteous judge. So these people are judged righteously, even though they may say they haven't been. He said, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish um, uh, Amalek, thank you, for what he did to Israel. Notice, this is a whole nation of people, but he counts them as one. It's a very important lesson. We don't have time to teach that. He goes, I will punish them for what they did to Israel. Uh, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. And do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. What does God say? Get rid of all of it. All right, jump down to verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, look what Saul says now, blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. What did he declare he did? 
I did exactly what God said. Do you know there's a lot of people that say, I'm doing what God said. But God knows if you've done what he said. I may not know if you've done what God said, but God knows if you are doing what he said. Make no mistake about it. He does know your heart. He knows where you're at. All right? He goes on and he says this, but Samuel, he, Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen, which I heard? I love that line. Saul said to him, they have brought them from the Amalekites uh, uh, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Why? To sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. In essence, God, the way I'm doing it, you should just accept it. In fact, I've done it like this every other time. Now, in my last church pastor, I. <laughs> All right. Um, then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, it is not true. It is not true. It is not true. Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribe of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you, what? Not obey the voice of the Lord, but rush upon the spoil and did what was evil. What was what? Evil. What was it? Evil. Anytime you do not do what God said, it is Saul is in covenant. He is anointed of the Holy Ghost. The man has prophesied. Been in the presence. Okay. He said to him, he said, why did you do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Samuel said to him, I did. Boy, I've heard that in many council meetings. I did. I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back this king of the Amalekite and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Verse 21. But the people took some of the small sheep and oxen to choice things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord. And in essence, what's the problem? I mean, why can't we worship God this way? Why can't we go to church when we want to? Why can't we read when we want to? Why can't I do? Because you understand, Jesus paid the price for me. His blood's been applied. He loves me. But they just don't worship long enough there. Well, you know what? I just, I, I, you know, I'm kind of tired of that. I'm going to go somewhere else. Did God tell you to go somewhere else? God sends you here, and then you're going to question what being trained. <laughs> no, we hit in the places that were problems, and that's why we haven't been able to release all this there, and God wants to cultivate you. But we run. 
and we make a demand. I'm doing, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go do a ministry here. Oh, okay. I don't care if you're preaching Jesus there. If you ain't been called there, if you were supposed to be here, it don't matter what you've done. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that people are really getting born again under your ministry because people are on their own. But when you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat and you think you'll get, get rewarded for all that came into the kingdom underneath your ministry, he'd be like, I never sent you to those. I mean, the word works, period, even though you're talking because my word is life anyway, but you don't get any credit for it. You got your applause when they gave you pastor's appreciation, told you how good you were and how awesome you were, and you were glad that you were there in that community, but I never sent you there in the first place. I'm talking to a lot of pastors about this right now. Now, I'm not literal pastor. I'm just saying in general, this is a big issue. We get in trouble in places, we go. Find somebody else. Find another flock. Can't submit to one pastor, go do a different one. Same thing happens in the body. Listen, you're going to have a problem. We all have problems. God is dealing with all of us. So when it comes, just let us fix it. Let us help you with the word. Go ahead and apply God, and let's go on. Right? And I'll show you why. And because we're not, the world has no desire to come to the church. I don't care how good Jesus has done, because they can't see it in you. When you're at home with your family. Oh, you know who your daddy is, don't you? And your mama. They don't look like this. Jesus, let us know. Those who do the will of my father, they are my mother and my brothers and sisters. Okay. Let's finish this and we'll close. He said, um, he said, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission, which the Lord sent me and done this. Verse 21. But the people took, right? Verse 22. Samuel said, has the Lord much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? That's a powerful statement, which tells us this. He did not have as much delight. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't please him. Delight and please are two different things. He was pleased in Isaiah to bruise. The chastisement of us fell on Jesus. Why was it pleasing? Because it was his, the will so that man could be restored, and Jesus followed it all the way to the cross. Gave up his life. Notice, Jesus had to give his life up because he's never sinned. And if you don't sin, you don't die. If Adam had never eaten the fruit, he'd still be here today. So Jesus is a man without sin. How's he going to kill him? How's he going to die? He's got to let his spirit go. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. He says, has the Lord much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to what? Obey is? You want a better love? Then get out of sacrifice. 
You want a better love? You want a better love walk with God? Get out of sacrifice. Now, let me tell you something. Sometimes your obedience will create sacrifice. Don't get, don't get me wrong. But you can sacrifice without being obedient. And that sacrifice that you put on the altar, whatever accolades came because of it, ends in this realm. It does not go to the next one. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. God is not delighting in us sacrificing ourselves for our way of doing God. Better love is just obey. He said, um, I've called you. You're going to pastor. Hmm. Well, that wasn't my plan. I'm in Atlanta. I got a plan. There's a house I plan to buy. There's a job I plan to attain to. I got kids, Lord. It's a great job I'm in. I see the future. It's very clear. I mean, I'm set up right now. And you want me to just leave all that? To go follow in a way that I have no one to help me go that way? And I don't care how successful I'd have ended up being in Atlanta, Georgia. I could have forfeited my whole soul to gain a whole world and sacrifice myself and my family to attain to things. But there was a better love. <laughs> Wasn't always easy in the flesh, but it's better and it's free. <sighs> you know, it's the Christmas season. <laughs> We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And many believers are only going to be thinking about the love that God sent so that we could be forgiven and miss there's a better love that Jesus said the father sent me I didn't even show up on my own I'm only here today because dad ordained me to come to the earth if it's up to me I'd have stayed with him but it's what I must do so that you can operate in this highest love that I have so that you can obey dad get in the family Whew. wow so when we see Jesus we start talking about love the rest of this month prior to Christmas let's remember that he operated in the highest love Jesus never failed so God never had to forgive him Boy, did God love him because he always said, yes, Lord. There's no greater joy you'll have than to hear dad say, yes. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, 
Subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. 